Welcome to the Envision Together, Going to Our Next Level of Best podcast. I'm your host, Pamela Mishana. Join me on this bi-weekly journey of empowerment, where you'll hear hands-on advice from lifestyle experts, educators, authors, spiritual leaders, and many more who will share tips on how to triumph personally, professionally, and spiritually. We explore timely topics such as overcoming anxiety and fear, educating the reluctant student, cultivating lasting relationships, and strengthening our faith. My hope is that the insights offered on the show will help us envision ourselves using our unique gifts and talents on greater levels for greater purposes. Hello, everyone. On today's episode of Envision Together, going to our next level of best, we have Jonathan Drayton, and he is what's called a Christian philosopher. And if you're wondering what that is, as I did before I met him, he's going to explain that to us in just a bit. I would just like to say that I'm eager and happy to have him on. He's going to continue sharing with me, but also uh, with you all. He has lots of valuable things to share, and I'm really looking forward to it. So with that, Jonathan, go ahead and introduce yourself to us in your own way. As she stated, I'm Jonathan Drayton. I'm 28 years old. I'm a graduate from the University at Albany. I triple majored in philosophy, history, and political science. Currently, right now, I'm pursuing to be a lawyer. But on the side, I've done food delivery for about 10 years. I've also work within the community as a community ambassador. And currently right now, while I'm studying, I'm still doing the food delivery process, but also at the same time, I have my own podcast that I've been doing for about three years now. Yes, fellow podcaster. And your podcast is called The Truth of the Matter is. It's a really like funny catchphrase that people have in a dialogue sort of style and having a conversation. So for me, I think that's pretty evident when it comes to Christ or God or anything in relationship to him. So I thought it would be interesting to make the podcast all about what the truth of the matter is. Like, in other words, the final authority or the final statement that in regards to various different truths that people sort of gravitate to. So that's kind of how it got born. That's great. Thanks for sharing that. And they're not able to see, but you have this great logo for your show behind you and it's purple and and really nice with that we will jump right into our first question what was your upbringing like being raised by two devout christians it was pretty cool it was amazing so we had bible study my dad used to bring out this big white board or i want to say a chart and he would do these drawings and stuff to kind of get us to understand we also tuned into what was called the the secret businesses of the Bible when we were kids. So they would talk about different business, you know, aspects of the Bible. And then we also had like the Bible stories, the children Bible stories that was presented to us as well. So we were very familiar with the different stories that were in Judges. We're very familiar with the Jesus story. We were very familiar with the Jonah story. Never to the extent and depth that it takes for a person to read it now. But I think the familiarity helped tremendously when it came to knowing what 
we believed in or how our values were instilled or where it came from and why it was essential, why it was important. So those little basic concepts that we learned when we were young were extremely helpful when we understood what our parents believed and how it reflected on us and how we were expected to behave and carry ourselves, show people decency and respect. So those things were definitely important for us that we were taught we needed to remember and keep in mind and how we treated one another because I have four brothers, no sisters. So usually when you're dealing with other boys in the house, right, hostility is high. But I would say for us, we maintain a decent relationship among us. We all still talk. We all still communicate. We all still have conversations with one another. And that's usually good. One of them actually is my partner on the podcast, and he's the second youngest. So myself, second youngest is Daniel. My youngest is Jordan and my oldest brother is A. That's great. And wow, mm-hmm. four boys. <laughs> Your parents deserve some, uh, an award. <laughs> no, <laughs> it's a lot. I have a girl and I actually hear that there's challenges for either sex, but I guess there's a window that girls go through that's really challenging. And then there's a window that guys go through where it's really challenging. Kudos <laughs> to them for doing such a great job and raising you all. I don't know if I've ever heard anyone say that their parents actually drew illustrations as they were explaining the Bible to them. You sort of learn there's different sorts of ministries. He, you know, gravitated a little bit more to what they call the teacher ministry. Mm-hmm. So that's usually something that's done in non-denominations. And I guess to some extent, there's different sorts of learners in education, right? Yeah. There's you know, visual learners and hands-on. So okay. I think it came to us having a better understanding, like, yeah, we could take the Bible out and read verses, but I think sometimes an illustration on a board to what we can see, plus for young, young minds, I think that helped tremendously when it came to how we were expected to apply it. And then at the same time, we're young and we're still, our minds are still developing. So I think just the visualization of it helped in terms of how we could recall and remember and then apply. So I think that was, you know, extremely important. Okay. Yeah. Is he an artist? No, okay. <laughs> no artist. I'm talking stick figures. I'm okay. talking those okay. sort of things. But still, it still was helpful. I would say it was right. still helpful. Still the yeah. effort, yeah. Now let's go back to something I mentioned a little earlier. You call yourself a Christian philosopher. I mean, I know what a philosopher is and I know what a Christian is. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. I don't know if I've ever heard it together. Will you briefly tell us what that means to you? I can speculate based off of my history with the two words, but what does it mean to you? I usually break it down like this. So one, I don't think they have to be musically exclusive or diametrically opposed, meaning they don't have to be at odds with one another. I think when you go into Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10, it says, fear the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now, most people who don't know about hermeneutics, which is like how you interpret things, and for us, it's how we interpret the Bible in proper context, and the utilization of how we draw it in, in terms of how we get better understanding of what's saying it. The word fear there is reverence, which, is, which really represents someone you love or someone you you show you have respect towards. Mm-hmm. So in this case, it would be God. So that's why the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Mm-hmm. Wisdom is defined as lover of knowledge, mm-hmm. okay? That's what wisdom is. Philosophy is the lover of wisdom, right? 
So the reason why those are extremely important to someone like can me I, can I just is because, pause, pause there. Yeah. I've heard that wisdom defined as uh, the application of knowledge. You could also define that this wisdom is the ability to discern and the courage to choose what is good from evils. So the application of how you apply it can be useful. But if you take that definition and put it in the context of someone who's probably in prison or something else and they try to apply wisdom, it doesn't show the application of choosing what is good from evil. But in a Christian context, there's obviously a distinct difference between what is good and what is evil. You talk mm -hmm. to a philosopher, they're going to question, well, how do you define what is good and evil, right? Mm -hmm. So it's very, it's based upon, it can be subjective, but for us, it's to choose what is beneficial or what is what is not good, right? Mm -hmm. Or what is not, what is not, what isn't beneficial. So when you look at the definition or you look at the scripture where it says, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. For me, philosophy is just a lover of that wisdom. Now, the problem is, in what context are you viewing that in, right? Mm -hmm. So for me, what's my compass and what's my foundation is God's word. Mm -hmm. For the philosopher, it's to think critically and think about things that are within the world that we have knowledge of, mm -hmm. whether that's having an understanding on, on the basic concepts of reality, and what we can do within that reality. And to them, sometimes it's structured around a scientific basic understanding. For mm -hmm. someone like me, I believe God's word is Holy Spirit breathed, which comes from the Holy Spirit. And therefore, all the knowledge and information that I could ever understand comes from God's word because I believe God partnered with human beings in order to bring about what the scriptures are today and how useful and how it can be helpful, especially with the traditional aspects of it. Mm -hmm. That's kind of how it is for me. So to me, I don't, it's the difference between a philosopher is me is philosophy tends to say they don't like to be restricted. So for me, God's word is where all the value comes in. And even if you go to the book of Isaiah, God has this desire for us to reason together. So there's this, this relationship aspect that comes into play. But if you're talking to a philosopher, they like to try to deal with things, what they would be called as reality and and they would say that their reasoning is based upon logic now again a lot of the stuff from a philosophical perspective including god's word is very reason i believe faith is a reason trust mm -hmm. right i don't think you just trust without any sort of evidence or anything profound but for me i believe everything comes from god is to god and it goes through him right so that's kind of where it is for me yeah you can be a Christian doctor, you can be a Christian therapist, you can be all those things. So I put Christian first because that's my identity. Mm -hmm. That's what I believe. It matters to me. And then I incorporate what I study and make sure God's the, the lens in which I see the world through. So that's kind of how it works out. While I was listening to you, you made me think of when I studied philosophy in college. One of the concepts was the perfect form that exists out there somewhere. And you said that philosophers rely a lot on logic. And I don't know if that's a logical idea, but it's one that they accept. So the way it was explained to me when I studied philosophy, the perfect form is this almost spiritual idea of something that exists in an untangible way and then at some point that idea that concept enters into a human being's mind 
and then they have the ability to produce it in reality or in the natural. So there's a perfect form of a chair that exists somewhere out there. And at a certain point, that form, that idea entered someone's mind. And then voila, they were able to design the chairs that we sit in. So when I had to write a paper on this topic, I, um, I described the perfect form the way they did in my philosophy class. And I just said at the end of it, the perfect form to me is God. So God is that untangible form or thing that they're wrestling with out there that causes us to then have the wisdom or the knowledge or whatever to, to produce things in the natural. Do you remember what kind of philosophy class? Ooh, no, I don't remember the exact title. Like, uh-huh. There's different ones. There's ancient philosophy, which deals with like Aristotle, Socrates, Plato. Then there's the ethics philosophy that deals a little bit more with like David Varr and this classic philosophy. So some ideas that came like this, like Immanuel Kant, there's so many different ones that, that come in. Like, so when I say that they deal more of a logic sense, they view the human person as this desire to flourish mm-hmm. and to seek knowledge, right? Mm-hmm. But their knowledge that they're seeking, at least for the Christian, it comes to a stop, right? Like we believe God is the beginning and finisher of our faith and that he's the creator of the universe. For them, it's like rather than deal with absolutes, there's always this potential. And every philosopher that comes after is reevaluating the thoughts and ideas that stem from the human mind, and then they're trying to either overdo it or say that this person didn't consider this option or this idea. Okay. So, yeah, they always are trying new, different, found ideas and questioning. And I think that's the biggest thing for philosophy. And that kind of philosophy is called what, or is in what category? Oh, and in terms of what I just mentioned, well, that's like what they would call this definition of ethics or this definition of. There's this other philosophy that I studied. It's called existentialism. Hmm. So the existentialism is like the value and appreciation of a monument or an idea. So there's an individual that I'm thinking of now, and his name is Heidegger, who was a German philosopher. Mm -hmm. And he believed that design is human existence. So that goes back to the idea I was mentioning earlier. The value of walking into a room is that the human being is the actual one that provides value to the thing that makes the thing exist. So they have questions of whether or not, if the human being doesn't touch that thing, can that thing exist outside of the human being? So a lot of it is selfish. A lot of it is individualistic. And a lot of it moves from the material world in terms of you know, how it all came to be. So they still hold on to the Big Bang Theory, some of them. They're called theist philosophers. So they believe in God's existence, but they won't put Jesus' name attached to it. They still acknowledge God, but they're come up with ideas like the watch theory, right? Where they say that if you look at a watch and all size and what it is, the value of the watch means that someone has existed. Or the alphabet theory, that God is the official mover. Then comes A, then comes B, then comes C. And everything that comes after is because someone had to create the alphabet. And in that scenario, is God. So they have certain philosophers that come up with those. That's okay. interesting, yeah. Okay. I think you may have touched on it a little bit, but your philosophical training, what study tools, philosophers covered, different trains of thought. You've touched on that a bit. 
how does this impact your approach to the Bible? Okay, so I'm thinking right now, right? I'm thinking of Gospel of John chapter 15, where there's an illustration of God being the gardener or the vine cutter. And then there's Jesus being the actual vine, we're being the branches. There's something very philosophical about that because Jesus says that apart from me, you can do nothing. So it really points to the direction of how human beings drift away from God and they think that they're getting they're getting more closer to wisdom. But in that scenario is provided, it says that if you are still a part of me, you can do much, you can grow, you can bear much fruit. So there's this understanding that yes, when God created us, he breathed the breath of life into us, which shows that association. The disconnect happened when Adam sinned in the garden and therefore we were torn apart. They view Jesus as the bridge that we can get that connection back to God, right? But it shows that the more and more we move away from God, the more and more we move into the darkness. The reality is the world thinks that they're gaining more wisdom as they depart from God. But the Bible and Jesus teaches that as long as that you're a part of me, you have everything that you need in order to flourish and to be successful. So that's very philosophical because it's showing you that as long as you're attached to the source, You'll bear fruit. You'll do good works. You'll do these things. As long as that you're apart from me, you will move into an area of darkness. And then, therefore, you will, you will be wise in your own eyes. You'll think that you understand the world. You think that you understand the realities of what's going on. And I'll point to another text, right? So it's also in the, the Gospel, Luke chapter 4. It's also in, in, that, in, Luke, it's in Luke chapter 4 and Matthew chapter 4. There's three different things that Jesus talks about being tempted with. He says that. You're being, I, I say you're being tempted uh, politically, religiously, and economically. So if you go to that text, right, chapter four, when Jesus is tempted to turn those stones, to turn that stone into bread, one is the satisfaction of his, his self-hunger. The other is the satisfaction of turning those stones and gaining economics gain, because then if the stones turn to bread, he can make money from it. Throwing himself down is forcing himself to use his religious power for the angels to come rescue him. And then bowing down to him is acknowledging and thinking that because the devil can control things from a political world, that he can give him all the different kingdoms within the world. So these are all very philosophical breaks down when you take it out of the religious context and focus more on what it can lead to and what can potentially happen, right? And there's so many other different texts if you go through the Gospel of Luke, then you see the crucifixion. You find out that Jesus' death was not just a death in regards to potentially saving those who believe in him, but it was also a political and religious power attached. Mm -hmm. So when you really start to dive in and you see not just philosophical perspective, a psychological perspective, right, a sociological perspective, you see the interactions that Jesus has within the dynamic of the world in which he lived. And he talked about the parables. There's elements of those parables that dive deep into the means and the elevation and also the takes in consideration of what's happening during the time, farming. All those different things are ways in which people can understand. And it's like an evolution that speaks to the times, right? Because as we know, context matters. Different contexts tell you what's transpiring in different periods of time, technology, all those sort of inclusions give, give you a roundabout understanding on why Jesus spoke about para, things in parable 
ways and how in a parable there's numerous different ways you can pull and understand it, right? And I can go through different parables to kind of break that down. But a lot of this is very philosophical and you can really take time and unpack it. That's actually something that I'm doing right now. The book of Matthew chapter five, I'm talking about the Beatitudes. In every Beatitude, there's a depth of scripture that cover it and that, that you can dive deep in to understand and have a better clarification of it. So you're saying basically that you are seeking, constantly seeking more and more knowledge about Christianity, the Bible, the truth of God's word. Yeah, I think there's two things that happen. Put it this way. So there's a passage in Matthew 7, 7 that says, Ask and you shall receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. Now, if you look at that in the NLT, it says, keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. This points more to giving God an opportunity to um, to reveal himself through to you through his word. And that is reserved to those that have a desire and a thirst for God's knowledge and understanding. So there's some things that I've learned. You can read scripture once and you can read scripture three or four more times and you realize there's something more to it. There's more wisdom being provided that you didn't think you understood when you first read it. So right. sometimes... Your knowledge and understanding takes wisdom, experience, going through things, and then God reveals a portion to it that you didn't consider or didn't even think. And that's why you have pastors, teachers, ministers. They have had years of experience and can look at a verse and apply it to their scenario, their situation in life. And then you'll say to yourself, I never viewed it that way. And that's because when you spend more time with God, getting more time to get to know him through it, so to, to the believer, it tells us in Corinthians that when you read scripture or you read God's word to the unbeliever is that those are people that are perishing because they don't understand. They'll never understand to the believers the word of God that changes and saves souls and provides more insight for not just for you, but for the community and for the people that take the time to understand it. So that's one thing I learned about going through God. I agree with uh, a lot of what you just said. Definitely. My experience with the scripture is certainly the process of going from level to level in faith to faith. Every time you look at it, there's more. It's so rich. It's so layered. I don't believe there's any concept that I've ever learned about the Bible or from the Bible that there's a finish point. When I was younger, I used to think, oh, I understand that. I got it. Then I lived a little longer and I realized I did get it at that age, but I'm getting more at this age and I'm getting more even the very next year and I'm getting even more and it just keeps expanding, expanding. So I used to think, what's wrong with me? I thought I got it then. And I used to look at it that way, but it doesn't seem like I got it. But what I realized at this age is I really did get it then. It's just so much bigger than that. It's a seed that's growing. That's kind of the way I look at some of the things that I just heard you say. <laughs> you explain things in the way that you do, and I'm sharing how I'm receiving some of the things that you're saying to maybe both ways that we're explaining it will help the audience piece it all together. <laughs> Tell us about your formal and informal study of the Bible. and 
how that impacts your understanding of the scriptures and what's significant about them and why do you believe it's important to study the Bible? So can you explain a little bit more about your formal and informal? So I kind of yeah. know where to like, go. Have yeah. you gone to divinity school, the study theology, or is it all self-taught or under, I guess, tutelage from a pastor or just what's your experience? So I've taken some courses. One of the courses my pastor taught, so one of my pastors is Dr. L. Bernard, who's actually in Brooklyn, North. He's a doctor for a reason. He taught like spiritual warfare class. And one of the things that helped tremendously when it came to me reading scripture in context was hermeneutics. It was just, and there's a hermeneutic for everything in order to unpack and realize how can you read scripture in a proper context without taking it out of context. As I've learned later that when you speak to a lot of people, they like to cherry pick verses, but they don't read the whole context from it. Mm. And you learn a lot of that in school. For me, I've taken LSAT. One of the most important things about LTAT is critical reading skills, mm-hmm. like reading the before and after so you can have an understanding of it, the text. Another thing that I've learned over time with the hermeneutic process is the importance of grammar, right? The importance of understanding who's the audience that's is speaking. Is it a hyperbole? Is it literal? Do you take it literal? Right. So these different aspects that you would do in reading and you apply it to God's word. Another thing is one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit is that when the Holy Spirit is present, he brings things back to remember. So there might be times I read things and I don't understand it, but I take note of it. I don't understand it right now, but that doesn't mean I won't understand it in the future. Right. Another thing is because of some of the skills I learned in philosophy, I learned to question things. I might read something and say, this doesn't mean in that, that context. Like, for example, in the Gospels, it talks about Peter being a rock. And I'm like, he's not an actual rock, but he, it's also when you learn the importance of original text. So we know that there are some texts that mean more in Hebrew, right? The word love is not meant in every aspect of the text. Mm-hmm. Every time love comes up, right? When you learn the Greek, a thing that I use that I also share with people is called Blue Letter Bible. And that allows you to look at a text, question why that a specific word is being used, and then go back and look at the original text of why that particular word was used and what was the meaning of it then. Because of my philosophy skill sets, there are things that I read. And because I'm reading for trying to understand, I will question certain things. So if there's a word there that's being used and I have questions about it, I would go to the Blue Letter Bible, and in the Blue Letter Bible, there are certain words that give you a deeper and more profound understanding in the Greek or in the Hebrew, right? Those are very helpful. Even in Latin, you'll find out that if we look at things through our lens of the time, we don't get a true understanding of what the text is really saying. Because remember, the text wasn't written for us, but it was written for us to use. So in other words, the Bible itself was written to a specific audience, but we're also inclusive in that audience. If you read Ephesians and you you learn that we're all part of the body of Christ, one body, even though there's Gentiles and there's Jew, but we're all one in the body of Christ. So there's an understanding of a particular audience that was being referenced. And we learn a lot from those particular, that particular audience. So like for an example, you read in the book of Acts, chapter 15, 4, it says all things were written for your learning and for your understanding. Right? The same thing if you read in Corinthians, chapter 10, 
these things are written in the past so that we can go and learn and have a clear understanding of what transpired so that we don't tend to make the same mistakes that they have made. So there's a learning experience, there's a learning curve that comes along with reading scripture and understanding why certain things are happening. And then, as I stated before, I really appreciate what I like to do is called cross-referencing. So there might be a verse in the Bible that you might read and not know that it is associated with another verse in the Bible. I'll give you an example. In the book of James, chapter one, it says, consider it pure joy when you face trials and tribulations to know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If anyone lacks anything, let them ask God who gives generously without fault. Without fault. If you go to Romans chapter five, you go to verses three through five, it says, rejoice in your suffering. So there's the word suffer there, and there's the understanding of suffering, James. But in, in this deeper, more impacted way in Romans, it says rejoicing your sufferings because then suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character. Character mm -hmm. produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because the Holy Spirit has been poured out onto us. So you'll learn that as you read, there are certain texts that can be used to support another text that's not written by the same author. Right. Uh, has value to you as you're reading. So even though they're speaking about the same problem, but it's happening probably to a different audience, but it still ha has value to you that's trying to read. And then I'll, I'll throw another verse out there, right? It tells us, I believe it's in Philippians, where it says, think about such things that are true, noble, pure, right, admirable, excellent, and praiseworthy. So that's another source of text that can help be inspirational to you in whatever predicament that you're dealing with, especially if you're going through a period of suffering. And then I'll add one more thing. If it's not the encouraging words, there's a story that connects to the understanding of suffering. And as in Genesis 39, if you ever read the story of Joseph, you understand that he went through a period of time of suffering, but you also understand that what God did is it states that he was with him. He was with him no matter what. I was there with you. And then what you'll see is that whatever the character is expressing, it can be much more relatable to you. So they call that exegesis in the text where, yes, the Bible is not about you. It's about Christ, right? The whole Bible is about Christ, right? And I would say the Bible is written in three ways. It's the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, right? But there are texts and there are characters that go through similar situations that you will go through, which is why Solomon says there's nothing new under the sun. Their experiences that we all go through may not be exactly the same analogy, the same example, but it will be some elements that is very similar. And that's where we get our inspiration to fuel our faith in those predicaments to know that we're not here alone. There are other believers on the earth that are going through this. So how did you come to discover football, dream of it as a career, and then tell us about the devastation of learning that you could no longer pursue that dream? How did or didn't you experience God in the midst of these experiences? Yeah, so I discovered football when I was young. It was one of the things I gravitated towards that my dad had on. I enjoyed it tremendously because there was something about the team aspect of it. It was something, you know, wanted to be a part of something that allowed your gifts, talents, and abilities to be on full display and complementary of other people's gifts, talents, and abilities. And then the training process that goes through work out with each other, you spend time with each other. It's like a brotherhood. There's a commitment that you have with someone else. And when you come together, there's something about that, that I love so much. I would say as I got into college and 
as I wanted to pursue it as a long time career, I came to the reality that, you know, there are just some people that are just much more athletically built and talented than you are. And sometimes there's some politics that comes along with it. Mm -hmm. And there's some also some devastating injuries that happen. You can potentially die while you're out there. They'll have fun, wrong type of tackling form, wrong type of hit. And I felt that God, in the midst of that, showed me that, yeah, you can have fun playing the sport, but maybe there's something greater that you want, you can tap into that I can use you for, right? Because I know you can be consumed with your talent and then all of a sudden, you know, not know what to do or how to glorify God in that. And mm-hmm. I realized that I came as I continued to dabble in that sport and be around other people. One of the reasons that drove me to it, because I thought that was the fastest way as a young person to gain fame and attraction and then use the money that I made to be helpful in my community. But I realized that sometimes the connections and relationships that you have and helping people doesn't have to come from a place of wealth, but it comes it can come from everyday interactions with people that are like you striving. Okay, great. Were you devastated at this realization or it was easy for you to transition from, I want to do this to I'm no longer doing it. I would say I was devastating. And one of the reasons why I was devastated is because I put a lot of effort into it. So waking up early in the morning, it was a part of the way I lived my life. Discipline, you know, focus. I really thought that so this would be something that I can strive and be successful at. And I really didn't see plan B. So I thought in my mind that the plan A was all that I need to consider. And that plan B, if you spent more time thinking that there's a plan B, then you're not enough, you're not focused enough on the plan A. So I was devastated, but later on, I found that there was value that held me to move into a different direction and hang the cleats up. Did you so, feel angry you know, about it? No, I realized that there were so many benefits that I got out of that. So I took the same mindset and I was able to get a driver's license in that period of time. I was able to forge and build relationships and then I shifted to the philosophy so that my mind my energy just went to operating a different muscle that was my mind so that's kind of where I shift I always ask because people um experience devastation in different ways sometimes they get so depressed or suicidal or give up on their religion and if that happened to you but then you bounce back that's a vital part of the story to share that could even help people say, you know what, he did it, I can do it. I don't have to give up on my beliefs just because things didn't work out the way I wanted it. (laughs) So describe some of the perspectives through which you view the Bible. Why do you believe it's important to look through various lenses? So as I mentioned earlier, the political aspect, I think, was extremely important to understand. We get so caught up and this view that people have about Jesus being a religious leader, where he never declared himself as a religious leader. He declared himself as a king. So I think what happens is, is when you view Jesus in the religious sense, then you kind of take away this kingship that he brings and also this personal relationship that he wants to have. We learn in the Old Testament that Jesus himself was seen in different places, whether it was wrestling with Jacob in the desert or whether it was Melchizedek having a conversation with Abraham and he declaring himself there. So we know that Jesus you know, existed way before he was there with the Father and that's in Proverbs chapter 8, right? But I think the political asset played a 
an extreme big role with the conversation with Judas and trying to find different ways. And we see how that transpires in our justice system in regards to tampering with witnesses and also trying to lean one side or the other and not dealing with things from a, a judgmental perspective that's correct, right? So I think the political aspect is a very important because we see how the political aspect was tainted and we see how there was some unjust decisions and choices made. You touched on Jesus and Judas, and I wanted you to just make it a little clearer to the audience how that was political, but I think you just did that when you talked about how it led to the crucifixion. So Judas was questioned by the religious leaders and they tempted him with money. And we know that money is the root of all evil. Money's not evil, it's just the root of it. It can be. And we learn also that there was conversation with Judas as to where Jesus was. And we know that throughout scripture leading up to it, they were trying to see Jesus, but they couldn't. Why? Because the way he spoke, they said no one spoke like him. That's one reason. Another reason is also Jesus said, my hour is not yet come. So we know in one aspect that there was the intention to try to arrest Jesus, but they couldn't. And we also understand that Judas has been stealing money. Jesus knew about it. He was the money carrier. He was the holder of the money. So we know leading up to a point, there was going to be a time where something had to give in, whether Judas was going to stop doing what he was doing or Jesus or his time was going to come. So we learn later that his conversation with the Pharisees and Sadducees led to them giving him 30 pieces of gold to sell out what Jesus was taking his disciples all the time. And then as they take that walk to the specific garden that they had, that's when they cornered him and then had Jesus on trial. So we learned a lot about the tampering, the hidden him. We know in our justice system, those are all things that can be used for dismissal when it comes to court dates and things like that. If you read closely through the story, you see a lot of those things don't happen. Even when it came to case can be thrown out if you have witnesses that aren't collaborating. We learned that when they arrested Jesus, that no story was corroborated together. They were wrong on that, too. So there's a lot of dirtiness that came in the political system. And therefore, we know that it was Christ's destiny died not for one, but for the whole nation, right? Not just the Jews. We learned that Judas was just a pawn in the, as a piece to try to set things up. Yeah. Thanks for uh, elaborating on that. How do you imagine you are helping the world through your being a Christian philosopher? Yeah, I want people to know that when you go to college and you learn these different schools of thought, whether it's philosophy, psychology, sociology, history, political science, there's an element of that that God can use you in that arena. And I think that what God does is he has men everywhere, right? One of the reasons why Paul didn't leave Corinthians is because God told him that I have people. So there's an understanding that one way God can elevate and grow the importance of the kingdom is having people in different areas, in different arenas, and using your gifts, talents, and abilities to help elevate the kingdom and else bring a wellness, being awareness to how we could be peacemakers, right? That's why we learned in the gospel of Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, that blesses the peacemakers, for they are children of God. So there's an understanding that we're supposed to come into this world and bring the message of the gospel. And part of doing that is having your skill sets on full display to help elevate the importance of how kingdom-like people can live life and enjoy things and they're not one-sided or judgmental or looking at life in a spectrum where we're not inclusive and we don't love one another and we don't care for people that don't share the same beliefs. Okay. So in essence, what you're saying is I consider myself 
a philosopher, but not just a philosopher. I'm a Christian philosopher. The same way a person might be a doctor, but not just a doctor. They're a Christian doctor. They're a Christian yes. teacher. They're a Christian engineer. <laughs> yeah, the identity is with Christ. And then whatever it is that they do, it says in Corinthians, do all things to the glory of God, whether that's eating, drinking, or whatever gifts, talents that you have, do it to the glory of God. And I think that's important because I believe the same way God is creative, we are creative as well. Right. We just have the creativity through a lens that we believe that is true. And therefore, right. we want people to see that they don't have to be separate. They can be together. So what is the most meaningful conversation you've ever had with someone in your role as a Christian philosopher? And why was it so meaningful? The most meaningful conversation I ever had was actually an individual by the name of Mark Morales, who I met on the train who was preaching the gospel. And one of the things we both agreed about is that it's not so much being able to memorize scripture and tell people about scripture. It's about living it out. So there's this passage in James that tells us, not, let us not just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. Let us not be sayers of the word, but doers of the word. That's the hardest thing to do is to take the things that we are reading about and apply them. And it takes time. I think God's a God of process and things are not going to happen, right? Rome wasn't built in a day and so is not the beliefs and how it needs to be a conviction, not a preference, right? There's a court case in 1982 versus, you know, Jonas Yoda versus the state of Wisconsin. And it speaks about how this man was questioned and ridiculed and put in jail over his faith. But it's because of his strength to be convicted in his beliefs is why we have this understanding that your beliefs are protected under this law now. That if you have a belief in a particular thing, it doesn't have to be Christianity, it could be anything else, that there's a certain level of respect that comes along with it. Lower people's standards for who they are because of what they believe. We believe two different beliefs, we have our reasons behind it. But now the government is not protecting those. And that's the difference between the United States because in other parts of the world, you're crucified for what you believe. True. And it comes to a point where is what you believe a conviction or is it a preference? Conviction mm. is something that never changes. A preference is something that with new information can change. If there's one thing you could change about yourself and or your life's experiences, what would it be? I hate to say this, but I think everything that I've ever gone through was purposeful. Mm-hmm. So I really don't have too many things I can change. Probably God's love that comes to me, maybe being a bit more patient. Mm. That might be the only thing that I might want to change. Be a bit more patient. And I'm saying that in regards to myself, because I am hard on myself when it comes to trying to do things and live right and be an example. You know, I might be the last Jesus someone sees. So I know that my behavior has to exemplify who I follow. Mm-hmm. Right. If I'm a child of light, then I have to show that. In the book of Matthew, chapter five, it tells us that let your light shine before others so that they may glorify your father in heaven. Paul tells us in Corinthians that we're ambassadors, representatives of Christ. So I'm a bit hard on myself when it comes to that. And I have to understand that in some cases, right, well, I'm human. I make mistakes, right? I have to own those things. That's why repentance is important. Mm-hmm. And I realize that I'm not going to get it right all the time. So that's one thing I can don't be too hard on myself. I appreciate your candid response. And, you know, I'm reflecting on myself. I'm a bit like you. I'm hard on myself. But one thing I've learned, too, is when we're wired like that, we're not just hard on ourselves. Sometimes we're hard on the people around us, too. Not in a mean-spirited way, but just high standards. 
I always have to remind myself to show grace and remember everybody's not wired the same way. Not everybody's at the same place. And whatever place I feel I'm at, there's people that's further along than me. So I have to keep putting it all in perspective. I can relate to that a bit. Have you ever lost faith? I would say when I wasn't in my word, yeah, easily, because nothing was fueling it. But I think what changed is the more I was in God's word, the more certain scriptures would come to me that would encourage me, motivate me, inspire me in the midst of the situation I was going through. And I think it was necessary because I believe that that's how you're, you mature in your faith because you go through things and once you make it, you're in a better position to inform others, not just. I agree with that too. Like if someone had asked me the question I asked you, what would you change? There's a lot of things actually that could run through my mind that I might say I would have I would have liked to not have had to go through this. But if I'm honest, going through it, and that's the key, going through it and not getting stuck. And there's some things I've gone through, but for a while I was stuck before I moved on through it. I look at it now and actually I see how it shaped me for the better. It's a toss-up. Our flesh doesn't want to have to go through anything hard. If we look from that vantage point, it's like, well, I can think of a whole lot of things that I would change. (laughs) But if I look at it from a different vantage point of, do I like who I am? Do I like who I'm becoming? Do I like how those situations have shaped me in the end? I do. So would you really give it up? Would you be you if you gave it up? Mm-hmm. And then appreciating that God knows your end destination. He knows what shaping needs to happen for you to be who he wants you to be. So it's all interesting, but I like to ask those questions anyway. I was thinking Romans 8.28, all things work together for those who love the Lord and are called upon to his purpose. So God's going to use everything, whether um, you like it or not. Yeah. So which one final gem can you leave with our audience today? Mm -hmm. Um, And the whole idea is it'll help them go to their next level best around the things Mm -hmm. that we've been discussing. They forget everything we said. What's the Mm -hmm. most valuable? Please don't forget this, everybody. It's like a part one, part two. The part one is, you know, I would say, you know, we live our lives on levels. And we arrive in stages. And that's just to help you understand that where you might be is not where you want to be, but it's where God has you. Mm. As long as you look at that and understand that you shouldn't be measuring yourself or anybody else. But you should be realizing that the stage you're going, the direction you're going, God has you there going for a reason. And it's going to benefit. Right. And the last thing is the quality of your thinking can determine the quality of your life. So if your thinking is not in the right place, then your life and the way you want to be may not be in the right place. So if your mind is thoughts are on God, right? It says, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. So long as you're doing that, I think your way of living, your quality of living can elevate because you're doing the things that God wants you to do. And even if you're not having the, the materialistic things that might be doing, but I think your people would benefit from your presence and what you have done for them and how you help them. It's what we're supposed to be doing for the kingdom. Absolutely. Very good. So this is the time when I'd like to allow you to share any information you would like to 
put out there about how my audience can contact you, stay in touch with you, tune into your show, get any books you may have written or anything like that. So go for it. Yeah, so I have an Instagram page called The Truth of TMIS. It's called The Truth of TMIS. And there is a list where you can contact me. And there's also a list of episodes with some images. You can see how is it really different to talk about. I also have a group on Facebook called I'm a Believer. And there's this inspiration that we have. Again, it's called I'm a Believer. We try to mutually encourage one another our faith, and that's in Romans. But we post usually a scripture a day, and there's people that are free to post whatever they like. It's called I'm a Believer on Facebook. I'm a Believer on Facebook. Okay. So that's what we do there. And then finally, you know, I never believe that I'm such in a place of a high horse where I don't want to interact with people. So you can reach out to me on my email. It's called speed, S-P-E-E-D. And it's E-D at the end of it. So it's speeded83 at gmail.com. And any questions, any thoughts, any ideas, anytime you want to discuss scripture or anything else, maybe I said something you don't agree with or maybe I'm wrong, right? And you want to have that conversation. I'm not in a place where I don't think that I couldn't have that conversation and talk things out. Mm-hmm. I think that's what the whole church was based upon, gathering two or three God's present there. Therefore, there's corporate worship and in this community that you have. I'm a big proponent of that. But those are where you can find Right. And I can appreciate that because, you know, there's things that we share at different stages in our lives. And later on, we may say, you know what? I don't know if I quite believe it exactly like that anymore, but I appreciate the journey and the fact that we're trying to learn and move forward around these things. So yeah, we welcome any food for thought or <laughs> feedback, feedback, <laughs> That's feedback, feedback is always corrections, good. all of that. <laughs> yeah. But it's been a delightful conversation and I'm so glad that you reached out to me and I'm glad that you came on to the show and shared all your thoughts and ideas and help us understand what the role of a Christian philosopher is. I do encourage the audience to go ahead and reach out to you and even listen to your podcast. He's a fellow podcaster. So we want to show our support again. Thank you, Jonathan, for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. on. Of course. Well, friends, Thanks for joining me for another episode of the Envision Together Going to Our Next Level of Best podcast. I hope today's topic inspired you to envision a brighter future getting to your next level of best and to urge others to reach theirs as well. If you are encouraged by today's episode, subscribe and share it with your family and friends. Also, please write a review. It will help me to reach a wider audience with a message of hope and inspiration. Don't forget to follow me on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, and share your thoughts about today's episode. Until next time, envision the future you want to see.